Welcome to the Ultimate Coach Podcast, Conversations from Being, inspired by the book, The Ultimate Coach, written by Amy Hardison and Alan Thompson. Join us each week with the intention of expanding your state of being, and your experience will be remarkable. Remember, this is a podcast about being. It is a podcast about you. To explore more deeply, visit theultimatecoachbook.com. Now, enjoy today's conversation from B. Hello, I'm happy to be here with Steve Chandler today. Um, as you know, if you've read, whether you've read The Ultimate Coach Book or not, you'll know that Steve Chandler was the first client of Steve Hardison. And um, it's just, you've been known in the coaching world from the very beginning. So it's really a pleasure and an honor to be with you here today. Thank you for agreeing to uh, to be on the podcast. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Anything that has anything to do with that book you're talking about, I'm happy to be a part of. Wonderful. Yeah, I even see that the Ultimate Coach book was an inspiration for your latest book. Like, we didn't know that you could write another book. You've written, what, th- 33, 34 books now? Um, something like that. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, but right in the beginning, you say that the inspiration for for the very best, yeah, the very best of Steve Chandler was the Ultimate Coach book. So I'd like to dive into that a little bit. Okay, great. Yes, uh, yeah. one of the book as big as his, so that people could use it as a doorstop, or maybe to <laughs> change the light bulb with, or uh, if they're really bored, they can read it. So, um, actually. Yeah, his book was a huge inspiration. And then my publisher said, how about a, how about collecting various chapters from previous books um, and putting them together in a big book so people don't have to go buy all 34 of your books? Uh, and I thought, great, that's a good idea. So that's what we did, and that's the latest book that's out there. Okay, very good. And... And I'm also wondering, um, the, the few chapters that I've read in it so far, um, really hone in on the way you are being, for example, with time, right? Or how, you know, a possibility for people to explore with time. So, um, what have you learned from you, the time that you've been coaching with Steve Hardison about yeah. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things uh when he was coaching me regularly, um, I still coach with him. We have a lifetime agreement, uh, but I'm in Michigan now and he's in Arizona. So uh we make that work when we can. But um the key thing was he would help me respect the present moment. So I would have an idea of something I wanted to do someday. And he would say, why not now? And and he would always, anytime I was fantasizing or strategizing about the future, he would say, why not pull it into the moment? Why not get started right now? And uh, it woke me up 
to the power of the present moment instead of the way I used to live. And most of my clients start out living that way. And, but I did for decades. And that was always living either in the past with a lot of regret and resentments and things or living in my future which was a negative imaginary future. Oh, what do I hope doesn't happen? What am I afraid of? What am I worried about? But never really in the now, never really seeing the opportunity in the present moment. And his coaching of me uh, led me to come up with a, a term called nonlinear time management. Mm -hmm. So linear is leads to procrastination. I'm always putting things off on the line that extends into the future. And then the time I spend ruminating and brooding upon what I regret, what I resent, uh, that's a line going into the past. And I'm ignoring the vertical line right here in the present moment that has all the possibility right here, right now. So his coaching helped me reorient my mind, who I was being, where I was coming from. And then um, as studies in neuroscience have now proved, the brain even gets reoriented. You get new neural pathways if your thoughts and your focus and your commitments are going in a new direction. The brain actually uh, changes. So that was that was the key thing I learned from him about time. Okay, that's that's very um, interesting. So basically, one thing that I'm hearing that stands out for me is how you were able to align all of who you are being into the now, so that you can um, commit to actually achieving something or doing something. Is is that accurate? Yes, that's right. That's right. And at the time, I had no idea what that meant. You know, what do you mean, who am I being? I'm, uh, I've am i got my wallet. I've got my driver's license. <laughs> you, did you think you had another client in front of you? Uh, I, I had no... Um, I'd never considered there was a level at the depth of being that uh, really influenced and powered everything. I thought it was all doing. You know, what do I need to do? How should I do it? What should I do about this? I've got that when I was first with Steve, I had these debts. What should I do? What should I do? What should I do about that? And and he would he would slow it down and return me to the level level of being. Who do you need to be to accomplish that? Who do you want to be? And uh, I finally saw over time that that was primary creativity, divine creativity, is that we actually have the freedom to create who we're being, not just what we're doing or what we're producing or creating. So in the slowing down, you can be more of a creator than a doer. Yeah, the worried mind slows down. And people people that I work with, they get real nervous when they hear the phrase slowing down. Because it, it makes my heart beat. I was like, 
what slow down yeah tell me more about that <laughs> yeah right because i was afraid if i slow down um i'll fall further behind <laughs> right. right i don't need to slow down i need to speed up i'm not accomplishing enough i'm not getting acquiring enough or right. earning enough or having good enough relationships so i need to speed this life process up but the real slowing down is the slowing down of the thought the worried mind the thought process the circular worried thinking that that just speeds around in circles thoughts about thoughts about thoughts slow that part down and your success will speed up because once that slows down out of doing and thinking and you drop back into being that's where all the intuition and creative ideas come from that's where the best ideas and the best intuition uh, and impulse comes from it, it it cannot get in there when my mind is racing and that's what slowing down really meant yeah i'm envisioning a fan yeah that's like and when you were talking about the vertical um, moment of now, like if if a fan is spinning, nothing can go to the ceiling, right? right? So this, the road, the uh, pathway to success is just like not happening. That's right. Wow. You yeah, I know. You can't get any insights either into spirituality or how life really works you can't when when the fan is spinning so fast uh george pransky used to use that as a metaphor so your worried mind is spinning so fast pretend you're trying to throw cards through the fan and those cards are insights about life that once you get those you'll have a better life a happier life you can't and the fan is going fast nothing can get through and what i was doing with a spinning mind was i was trying to load up on information i'll read this book and this book and this book and i'll learn this and learn this and somehow i'll get the information i need um to succeed or whatever it was i thought needed to happen and uh no no there was no being involved in any of that and that's why it wasn't working yeah what one of the things that i think is quite remarkable right when the invitation to read the ultimate coach book is not only are we supposed to read it as if it is about us we're also invited to read it multiple times so you know we've often been told you know read these books and you know to your point about read all these different books what if you read the same book and actually applied the lessons yeah. in the one book <laughs> that's right um, yeah yeah that that in itself is a great insight um i'm better off reading one book that really makes a difference really inspires me uh multiple times than keep reading new books new books I remember once uh, I was younger, somebody came, somebody came to the door with a Bible and other things. And I said, sorry, I've read it, already read it. And uh, I was missing the whole point, obviously. Uh, I, was, it, I was treating it like it was some mystery novel. Yeah, spoiler alert, revelation. But 
I, I miss the whole point of what a book could do. Yeah. So how many times have you read the Ultimate Coach book? Three. Well, okay. actually, technically more because uh, I read various forms of the manuscript as it was being created. Amy asked me to look it over and uh, give feedback. And it was so beautifully written. Uh, I, I couldn't I'd come up with any feedback. I was like, gee, I'm going to sound like a moron here. I don't have, I, I should find something I want to change. But she is such a good writer. And she works so hard to make sure that there was clarity in everything she wanted to say. It was really readable, really understandable, user-friendly for any reader. Yeah. That... Uh, so I read it in that form, and then when it came out, uh, I was like Steve Martin and the jerk, like, the phone books are here, and <laughs> dancing around them. I've actually got the book, so I read it then, and then uh, Steve asked me if I would read it again from a different perspective, and I, I thought, okay. And I thought, well, I'll do it as a favor to him. You know, he's a great guy, good friend. He was the best man at my wedding. When he asked me to do something, I'd do it. Yeah. But then it really hit me. Wow, it is a different experience reading it uh, from total involvement. Hmm. Like, I am the voices in this book. And, uh, yeah, it was powerful. Yeah, I, I noticed... That's a good point because you and Chris Doris, I think, were mentioned multiple times in the book. I think at the beginning of the book, there's a picture of you and Steve, not at the beginning, but early on in the book, there's a picture of you and Steve Hardison together. So um, being heavily involved in the creation of the book in a way, right? Because you were reading it as it was being created and everything. So what would you say has been your personal greatest insight? Well, I think um, my greatest insight was um, how his multidimensional coaching skills, and, and he has many, could be simplified so beautifully into a single idea of being. That was my biggest insight. Like, this this is not complicated. This is just one big wow. But it takes time to let the bias and the conditioning of doing, doing, and getting, and doing, and getting to fall away to really see being for what it is as... Uh, spiritual source of life and the creative source of all life. Not just a, a different state of mind to get yourself into. That That's a state of mind and that's fine, but it goes way deeper than that. That was my, uh, that was my biggest insight, how simple it was. Yeah, and simple is not a synonym for easy. <laughs> no, no. No, not easy. Not always easy. And I'm hearing also um, uh, similar to what we what you were speaking of earlier about slowing down to looking at the vertical, right? It's just you uh, you are allowed to really um, 
lose yourself in the depth of what being means. That's right. Lose my um, false self, you know, my personality, my per- my illusory permanent self. And my first work with Steve, uh, I wrote a book called Reinventing Yourself yes. about the effect of that work on me mm-hmm. and what my vic- victim thinking had been about everything and uh, how that could be turned around. And so I called that book Reinventing Yourself so that you're not stuck with um, this permanent, this illusion of permanent personality that can never really change. But that there was something at the heart of it, which is, which I call divine creativity. It's at the heart of everything and people just cover it up all day long. Hmm. And that was that book was a clumsy attempt at uh, at really putting into writing what had occurred for me and then some of my first clients out of the work with Steve, reinventing yourself. Why do you call it clumsy? Uh, it doesn't explain it as well as some of my later books. So, you know, I uh, keep trying to get it better. Yeah, but I mean, in the rawness still, I mean, would you say that many of the people you work with are very much in the raw stages of really understanding their, or what am I going to say, like separating themselves from the conditioning that they've layered on top? Yeah. Yeah, most people are. And most people in society are. They've been conditioned to believe that they that there is no divine spirituality that they're just these animals walking around who are going to die and um so yeah it's it's heavy conditioning that that people show up with and then they start seeing possibility and and so it's really the people who really thrive through coaching are the ones who are willing to discard beliefs that they used to grip and hold on to. And that can be scary. Yeah. So would you say that Steve scared that out of you? When you were co- <laughs> <laughs> I got that feeling through some of the <laughs> stories. Sometimes, yeah, uh, yeah. There were there was fear that had to be experienced for me uh, to really see what needed to be seen, and then the fear went away after that. The fear was just was always like he would always tell me it's worse up here than it is in reality. It's worse when you think about it. Uh, so let's just engage reality and uh, see that reality is actually on your side. You don't think so, but it is reality well, explain more about what that means what is reality uh it's what is real you know like um okay so for the for people that are listening that may still be in that victim mindset reality is the humdrum of we got to do this what are you talking about like you know um so 
Well, so uh, something occurs and then it passes through the filter of my story about it. So uh, a house catches on fire and I think, oh, how horrible, how tragic. But a fireman on his first day of duty jumps up and says, my first house fire, let's go. And his heart is racing and he's exciting. He jumps in and helps put out the fire and save some people like best, best day of my life. <laughs> so the fire is the same. The fire is reality. Mm-hmm. And it's just something that is occurring. And, and then my response to it, what I make of it, uh, is up to me. And so, so reality was not as bad things that were occurring were not as bad as i thought they were they were opportunities for learning i saw them as tragic unfair why me and i got the why me um so pervasive in my life i i would take everything personally it'd start to rain and i'd say why me why 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 is it raining on me what have i done to deserve rain. So that all over time went away. Yeah. So what is, is reality and what we make it mean is essentially not reality is what you're saying. What we make it mean is, uh, there's more choice in that than we realize. And so that becomes, uh, the hot, in a way, the higher reality, because that's really our experience. Our experience is what we make things mean for us. So I can make something be a real learning experience that I can grow from, or I can have it be some unfair, tragic, horrible thing that I didn't deserve. And that's all, uh, That those are both creations of mine. Right, and they're both choices. Yeah. 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 You explain that beautifully. I, I always want to, um, get the clear, pure definition of the word reality, you know, um, for people, because, um, like you said, we, we are all listening through a filter and, um, just as a possibility, what if there's no filter? Right. Yeah. Um, so, when I was asking me a question originally about uh, whether or not Steve scared you out of your conditioning, I was specifically thinking of the story about uh, when you went to the company and you were proposing, he was trying to get you to propose more. And you, um, what was it you said? Do you remember the story that I'm talking about? In the end, you ended up with like, was it 40,000 or 400,000? Oh, yeah, that, that one. Uh, yeah. Uh, so he, yes, that scared me to charge <laughs> that much for what I was doing. So, so he always saw value in what I could do that I didn't see. And that, that's one of his gifts. And I think the book shows it, um, that he can see potential in people that they don't see. And so his work is to connect them to their own potential, their own 
possibility that they don't see as a possibility. So, in a way, he's like an eye doctor. He helps you see what's really there for you mm. and how much better it is than you imagined it could be um, because of all your beliefs and all your uh, life of staying out of the realm of being and just trying to overcome everything by more and more doing or more correct doing. I've got to do it right. I'm doing it wrong. Someone tell me how I should do this. Yeah, and he didn't really tell you what to do in that case. No. He would always ask me, what What would you like to do? Who would you like to be? What would you like to create? And um, the beauty was I'd come in with a problem. I've got this big problem. And he'd say, tell me about it. And I would describe the situation. He would see automatically, immediately, the situation was neutral. It wasn't mm -hmm. a for him, it wasn't a problem. It was just conditions of the game we're about to play. Okay, we have to stay within these boundaries. We have to get the ball over here into that basket. That's the game we're about to play. Let's go. And um, so it was no longer a problem. It was just the game. And who do you need to be? Who would you like to be? And I said, well, I can't even picture myself talking to someone like that. And he'd say, okay, let's role play it. I'll be you and you be someone who's uh, pushing back and criticizing, trying to shut it down. And he would show me and, uh, and I'd see it, you know, all, it's like, hey, I can see it. Thanks, so, for, thanks for these. <laughs> thanks for the glasses. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I never knew. So you could like pretty much, um, what the way I'm hearing it is like you could pick your position on the playing field now. You yeah. could choose whether or not, um, I don't know what the positions are in basketball. So I'm going to say like be the quarterback or, you know, you could be the running back, you know, whatever. That um, would be football. <laughs> yeah, that's football. <laughs> that's right. But yeah, that's right. Do, do we need to throw a pass? Can we run it up the middle? Uh, there are a lot of things we could do. Let's have fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly I'm hearing have fun with it. Yeah. And exactly. So in all cases, being the essence of being is creating life as um, a game of choices. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Okay. Yeah. That feels good too for my yeah. filters. <laughs> like I've read the book three times and, and I still have, you know, conditioning is, a, is really a thing. Yes. You know? it is. It's like, I, and it's funny because after I read the book the second time, I was like, Oh, I got this. Right. And then <laughs> I had an, a learning opportunity and I said, okay, let me just revisit the book again. And, um, yeah. Conditioning is is a real thing. But the good thing is the the old mythology around psychology used to say that our conditioning ends at a certain age in childhood. That's who we are. We're this way or that way. If you hear a parent talk about their kids, 
they can tell you, well, she's an introvert. He's an optimist. She's a pessimist. Uh, and, and it's all locked in. And um, that's who you are. Good luck with it. And the truth is, yeah, that that's who somehow they've been conditioned to be combined with whatever strategy they had to keep themselves safe, combined to create a pattern called a personality. But what early psychology didn't acknowledge was that conditioning continues. So I'm in my 70s, and if I do nothing but doom scroll the news all day, and read about, oh, no, oh, no, what's wrong? Oh, no. I, that The conditioning is continuing. If I have a process by which I read an inspiring book in the morning, I have meditation, spiritual practice, I talk to teachers and clients and mentors who inspire me, I do good work, I serve people, I am now reconditioning who I am out of creative choice. Conditioning never stops, but who's going to be in charge of it? Who's going to who's going to have the last word? Society, my parents, uh or am I going to take take over the controls and create who I want to be, who I need to be to have the life I want? And that that's the wake up call that people get when they work with Steve, and a lot of people have gotten that I've heard from merely reading this book a, a couple of times. Yeah, I haven't worked with Steve. I had one very long walk with him. So um, I understand most of what I'm understanding is through these conversations and from my reading of the book. And you mentioned one thing that I and some of my clients have struggled with, and that's the word um, be of service. So speak more about what that that is. Yeah, a lot of people struggle with that. Um, I even get angry emails sometimes saying, I'm a woman. How can you tell me to how can you tell me to serve more? I've been serving all my life. I'm tired of serving. I want what's mine. I want to um I want to be a badass woman. Oh, I had one client who says, can you teach me to be a badass woman? And he said, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, why would you want that? And oh, I want what's mine. I'm tired of serving. Well, that's, uh, if you were really serving, you wouldn't get tired of it. Serving is is making a positive difference for somebody else. It's leaving the ego behind and engaging with life in such a way that you realize you're making a positive difference with other people. And that's a, that comes along with a really great fulfilling type of feeling. But a lot of people just try to wrestle with the concept of serving, like, oh, serving, I don't want to serve, I want to make money. I want to persuade. I want to manipulate. I want to um, make my. I want to get what's mine. Uh, I'm tired of serving. I serve this. Serve my first two husbands. I serve my father and mother. I, I, I'm. I'm done. 
I want to go out and take what's mine right now. And so the the mere concept of serving uh, usually goes into the, the filter of the person who's been highly conditioned one way or another. So they already have a story about it before they've really tried it. And serving is difference-making. I had a mentor once who said, meaning is the difference something makes. If it makes no difference, it has no meaning. And then he would tell me, that's true of your life. If your life makes no difference for anybody else or anything else, the environment, the animal world, people, whatever, then there's no meaning. Hmm. Meaning is the difference something makes. And service, to me, is making difference-making. The smaller, the better. I don't have to change the whole world overnight. I can help somebody walk across the street who's having a hard time. And that's service. And you know that it isn't some kind of victimy, doormat, self-sacrifice because of how great it feels. Yeah. It's like the word service has been hijacked. Yeah. And <laughs> and and uh the women, we're gonna use this because this is the example you used, have been conditioned to believe that service is um doing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh for others and pleasing others. And leaving yourself out of the equation. And leaving yourself out of the equation. Yeah. Yeah. And so new conditioning conditioning is recommended for someone <laughs> with that, you know, belief system. Right. So in reality, right, service is actually um creating a difference for humanity, which may or may not have anything to do with pleasing people, right? No. Many times, uh, it's different than pleasing people. Uh, my father was an alcoholic. Every time I made him a drink, he was pleased. At one point, I realized, am I really serving him mm-hmm. by doing by doing this? And so pleasing and serving are often two different things. Pleasing is an attempt to win approval from other people. And it's a endless game that has no fulfillment in it. Uh, you have to start over the next day. You can't trust whether they still approve of you the next day. Here, here she comes walking along and doesn't seem to be in a good mood. I've got to please her again, I guess. And so it's just going on and on. And it's a no-win game just continuously pleasing. And serving is different. Uh, How can I really help and make a difference for somebody? Wow. Yeah, that's, there's so many insights I'm having, like, listening to that. Um, I can't even enumerate. But one thing it, it takes me to is that connects the dots for me for, uh, you have an audio that I listen to regularly. Um, and I do share with my clients called 
expectations versus agreements. So this now the service that the serving lines up with that for me, right? Because when I'm in my pleasing, I live in a world of expectation. Yeah. When I'm in my serving, I'm living in a world of agreements. Can you speak to that a little bit? I don't think I can say it any better than you did. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree with that. Um, living in a world of I expect, I'm expecting respect. I'm expecting people to approve of me and acknowledge me and appreciate me. And, and I'm trying to accomplish that with everything I do. That's very shallow, very temporary. And uh, it never holds. There's never deep fulfillment. But if I can truly serve, if I can do something that really serves somebody, uh, that that's difference-making. And uh, that's a completely different activity and a completely different result. And expectations, agreements, that, that uh, contrast, that audio came out of my work with Steve um, and and he showed me if someone was not living up to some expectation I had of them, he would ask, well, what's the agreement? What's, what's their commitment to you here? What have they, what have you agreed to? Like someone wasn't showing up on time for sessions. What's the agreement that the two of you have? And I would say, what are you talking about? <laughs> That's a grown-up. They don't. I don't need to coddle them with some kind of agreement. They they ought to already know that mm. it, to show up on time. And um, but creating an agreement is an act of service because now you're both clear, and you're both basing what you're going to do next on a promise each of you has. Um, willingly made, not based on mutual expectation of each other. And it's, I'm also hearing it's a groundwork for uh, commitment and deeper relationship building. Yes, absolutely. So this is like the, the way you and Steve's relationship was built over years, right? Is with that uh, creating a commitment to whatever agreements you had. That's right. Yeah. The power of agreement, really clear agreement, the power of communication built on integrity, um, valuing being my own word, especially with myself. If I make an agreement with myself to uh, do something, I don't I don't just ignore that because it's only me. I had a, before I met Steve, I had a therapist. Uh, this was way back before there was even such a thing as coaching or life coaching. And um he said the greatest damage to self-esteem is the phrase only I will know. So let's say I make a uh, a plan or a commitment, uh, not a commitment, it wouldn't be a commitment, it would be an intention to work out every morning, 
one morning I'm going to walk, one morning I'm going to lift weights, one morning I'm going to do the bicycle or whatever. And then I wake up one morning and I don't feel like working out. Well, if I don't work out, only I will know, right? Right. Or if I don't do, if I don't finish, write this book, I said uh, that I told myself I wanted to write, or if I don't finish this chapter, only I will know. And what Dr. Brandon said, can you really understand what you're saying here is that if anyone else knew, that would be a problem. Mm-hmm. But if you, if only you know, well, you're only you. So you don't have to keep agreements with yourself because you're only you, but they are the important people. And that was really damaging to people's self-esteem to not develop their word in relationship to themselves, not keep their word with themselves, because they thought, oh, that's my secret little flaw. (laughs) I can't be counted on. That's my belief. So I'm not going to share that belief with anybody because they'll think less of me, and my life's mission is to try to get people to think better of me. But that's devastating, as you you know, as you can imagine. Yeah, because um, and see, that was my major takeaway from the book is about being your word and being in integrity and staying congruent, and and that's uh, what that example screams to me is that you're incongruent and you're you're not keeping a commitment to yourself and whether or not. I realize it. it reverberates through the way I'm being, right? To just close the loop on this um, in everything I do, because you can't be one way with yourself and it not leak out, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Into yeah. your other relationships. It doesn't right. work like that. Hard to hide. And it's a horrible feeling walking around with all these secrets. That's yeah. the worst part. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst part. You're right. That's worse than people finding out. Um, How did your walk with Steve go? Oh, (laughs) thank you for asking that. Um, It was, uh, it it went, uh, I I would say it was very enlightening. Mm. Um, I, I learned something about myself. You know, I use words. I even create words. And then I, I don't, I don't be them, right? So the word joymonger, for example, came up in the conversation and I created oh. that. Yeah. So he asked me, like, what's the definition of that? And I said, well, you're joymongering right now, right? Cause he loves to take this walk. This is his thing. And he goes, Oh, he says, well, then you're the world's best joymonger. And I was like, how's that even possible? You see, I wasn't being my own word. That I created. And um, so he said, because you created the word. Yes. You have to be the best at it. Yeah. And and then so then after that point in the walk, we separated and we were we walked separate for about 45 minutes. And after the 45 minutes, you know, in um, perfect Steve style, what does he say? He goes, so. You know, no. Uh, what, what did he say exactly? I may have to paraphrase because this was January, you know, so it was a long time ago. But um, he goes, um, feel free to answer this or not. Whatever you were thinking about for the past 45 minutes, you've created your tomorrow. And I was like, holy, whoa. <laughs> 
And fortunately for me, when I was wanting to think negatively, right? I was like, wait a minute, I'm really grateful for this moment right now because I have an opportunity to think whatever I want and create whatever I want. Isn't that amazing? I was thinking this when I was, you know, when we were separate. And I said, so if I could create anything, how would I create who I'm being? And so then I started thinking about, you know, who I'm being and, and how I should be to accomplish, you know, the things that I was working on at that time. And, um, so I got busy thinking about that and started walking slower. <laughs> and so he was actually worried because, you know, he's six, four and I'm not, I'm like five, three. So my steps are smaller. So, um, by the time I caught up to him, he was like, you know, I was worried that I lost you, you know, and then he said this and and then I shared with him, um, the thoughts and what I was creating. So yeah, it was, um, that, that was, uh, an awakening to how much of commitment I, I didn't hold within myself. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> how How did you create this podcast? What brought this about? Oh, this. Um, so one of the hosts, there, there are three hosts for this podcast. Oh. Yeah. So there's uh, Laban Ditchburn and Philippe Bartu. And then there was Ross. And so Ross uh, resigned. And uh, I happened to find out about it. And I was like, well, you know what? What an opportunity. Because they're all men. Don't you, wouldn't you like the voice of a woman on the podcast? And so uh, they said, oh, that's a great idea. And I said, and you know, I'm the only one qualified for that. Huh. And <laughs> and they agreed. So, um, yeah. That's great. Well, I lucked out. I'm glad I got the voice of a woman on this podcast. Thank that's you. Great. Yeah. You're, you, you ask great questions. Thank you. I was going to ask you that, like, what has been your... <laughs> Um, experience of this of our conversation together it's a lot of fun and easy you know i um i feel your relaxation sometimes i'm on a podcast and um i feel a little bit of tension like somebody's afraid they're not going to ask the right question or whatever but it just feels really easy so it's a great it's a great experience just like you and i are on a park bench talking yeah. I love these conversations. This is this is what lights me up, you know, in the world. So um Steve was really excited when he found out, you know, that I was going to be a host and he gave me a short list of recommended people to have conversations with and you were on that list. So oh, good. I'm honored. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And and see I'm the one that felt like I'm honored, you know. So I'm glad we have that mutual respect for each other. Yeah. A lot. There's honor mongering going on. Right? <laughs> yes, we've just created a whole new world. I love yeah. that. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Is there anything else you would like to share or put into the space um, before we close our conversation? No, I'm just. I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful to Steve and everybody who is participating in getting the book out to the world. 
it's really a beautiful movement. So I feel a lot of gratitude. So I want to thank everybody who's a part of it. Yeah. And thank you because I want you to know this. Everyone looks up to you, Steve. Finally. (laughs) Yeah. I, I know there's a nickname that you don't want to be associated with, but beyond that nickname, we all look up to you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I doubt the statistical accuracy of that, but I like (laughs) the feeling of it. Everyone in the being movement. How about that? Does that feel more accurate? I'll take take anyone looking up to me. (laughs) You're very welcome. Thank you so much, Steve. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. If you know someone who would benefit from today's conversation, please share this podcast with them. Also, we invite you to visit theultimatecoachbook.com so you can continue your personal exploration of being. There you will find links to join our wonderful community, get your own copy of The Ultimate Coach Book, and more. Simply go now to www.theultimatecoachbook.com. That's www.theultimatecoachbook.com. The link is also available in the show notes. We appreciate your support. Be blessed. Be you.